Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And we got, again, like, yes, we're in the height, or I mean, let's be real, this is not the height. We are in another week of quarantine viewing. But there, again, there's a lot for us to talk about. So um, there was some TV news this week. The Emmy Award nominations came out. We don't care. Uh, so- no, but I do care about Leslie Jones doing that for now and forever. Well, okay, see, I didn't actually watch the nomination, so did you – what – I heard she yes. was fun, but I don't – what What did she do? So um, the, they announced, like, the major category nominations. Leslie Jones was basically just in front of a green screen mm-hmm. um, that projected up the people who actually announced the nominees. So Josh Gad, um, um, Tatiana Maslany, and uh, Laverne Cox announced the nominees. But – that was all fine, but mostly it was just Leslie Jones being psyched about people or shows getting nominated. And being like, I watched that show. That show's great. <gasps> Zendaya! And just like all the excitement around that um, was just really, really great. And she should always, always, always announce every nominee for any award show. I don't know that she should host, but she should definitely announce... The nominees because it was one of the highlights of my week was how excited she was getting. Um, plus, she also got to tell Laverne Cox that she had been nominated for um, best guest actor in something, uh, but kept bungling it. And also, Laverne Cox didn't understand what was happening because maybe the teleconferencing wasn't working or just seemed just genuinely sort of confused. Um, but it was just such a delightful live in quarantine moment that I just could not get over it. So it was very, very sweet and very infectious, but it was also just, it was very good and she should do it all the time and she should get a daytime Emmy for it. I don't know how we arrange that, but she deserves a daytime Emmy. I'm all here for Leslie Jones getting a daytime Emmy. I mean, talking about guest Emmys, let's get her a guest Emmy for her turn on Drag Race as a guest judge in season 12. Yes. Because come on. So good. Very, very good. So good. Well, speaking of Drag Race, this week uh, we're going to be talking about the Drag Race finale in the show. Uh, We've got quite a bit of of TV to to break down for, I mean, considering, like, not compared to the previous era of the Televerse when we had, like, 20 shows every week, but for right now, it feels like a lot of content to talk about. At the end of the show, we're going to be talking about Tales from the Loop Season 1, which is an Amazon Prime sci-fi series. It's eight episodes. Um, and looking forward to that conversation. We have some strong feelings about the show, guys. So looking forward to your thoughts on Tales from the Loop. Uh, but first, we're going to dive in with our Weekend TV. So with no further ado, let's listen to a little music and be right back with that. Spell it out for you. All of the feelings that I got for you. Can't be explained, but I can try for you. Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for you. It's like I'm powerful. 
This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with our thoughts on the RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 5 finale, Clap Back. Then we'll talk Jelly's Marble Runs, uh, Marble League 2020 uh, Event 9, Mogul Race, and 10, the 5-meter sprint. Yes, it was a delay today. No, we're not going to wait a week to talk about it, because there was a big shake-up. Well, I mean, not for not for Marble Run fans, but for the two of us. So more on that in a bit. Then I'm going to just dive in. Briefly, uh, check in really more with Perry Mason, Chapter 6. Noel's got some thoughts on Cardcaptor uh, Sakura, Seasons 1 through 3. And then Dimension 20's Fantasy High, Episodes 1 through 15. I'm going to talk just, again, briefly about Winona Earp, Season 4, their premiere on the road again, before we run things out with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Stolen, and Stargirl, Shining Night. So first up is the All-Stars finale. My review, of course, is up over at, and recap is up at the AV Club. I like the the gist of my like the TLDR of my review is oh look it's all stars finally it actually feels like all stars um there have been some highlights throughout the season don't get me wrong there's been some really remarkable moments and performances but um this this season has not really fe- felt all that all starsy people have not necessarily stepped up in the way I was hoping that they would um and and like the depth of the cast has not stepped up in the way that I was hoping that they would for an all-star season. Um, and so it didn't feel all that all-starsy, but you know what did for me, at least this finale, I was, I really enjoyed this finale. What did you think of Clapback? I think it is a pretty strong finale. Um, I don't know that I needed all the Queens to come back and do looks. Oh, Um, you are wrong. I needed that. I needed that in my marrows. Yeah. I will not tell you you're wrong about many things about drag race, uh, but you are wrong about that, sir. (laughs) <laughs> but they were all very good looks is the thing. So I don't need to complain about it. I just didn't necessarily need it. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you that this kind of like, it felt like all stars in the end. And that's a little sad, but it felt like all, all stars in the end. So overall, like a good episode, even if you also are going, oh, look, Shay won. I am surprised. I'm not surprised. We all knew this was happening. (laughs) There wasn't like a lot of tension in the episode, which was like my main problem with it of like, yeah, no, this dance number is really good. And boy, they're really getting a lot of work out of that bench with a mirror thing from (laughs) season 12. It just keeps popping up. Um, They're just going to keep using it until it falls apart. I'm convinced at this point. But just the lack of tension in the episode because of, how they've been editing it so hard for the inevitability of Shay's win, but it was still rewarding to watch. So I, again, I can't complain too much, but it's a little slack for a reality competition show where I just go, well, called it in episode one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but I do think that, you know, what I appreciated about this finale is now, like, the the challenge performances overall, like, as a whole, have not lived up to what I think they need to be for an all-star season to really shine. And so because of that, they, the producers and the editors have really relied on the backstage drama to fuel things, which isn't all that satisfying when you're getting to the end, um, unless somebody's done something super heinous, which... I don't actually want to happen to these queens because I because I enjoy all of these queens, um, at least all the ones who are in the finale. And so when you get just a really 
like professional and fun and supportive uh, energy from the top three. And uh, you just have, have a bunch of fun with this finale. I mean, if they're not going to do suspense, which with that narrative plotting, right, they were not going for suspense. They pushed like, Shay just has to win for, to have any closure on the death of her father. Like, Clearly, Shay was going to win. So if you're not doing suspense, at least make it fun. And I thought they, that they really did. Ha- bringing in the um, the rest of the, the All-Stars to do like a little mini reunion, I thought was terrific. Not only for clearing the air for Alexis, you know, which hopefully that will give her a bit more of a break with the, some of the fans who do not understand that this is a show in the way that they should. But also because we got to like a quarter of the way through the episode and they haven't hadn't even started working on the final challenge yet, which means we didn't have to sit through a really phonally edited recording, like, segment where we go, oh, can, are they going to be able to actually sing okay? Oh, they did. Okay. And we didn't have to watch them go, what am I going to write about? When, like, they all know that this challenge is coming, so it's not a surprise. It's not, you know, so they don't have to do those really false beats, um, because they had plenty of other stuff to fill that time. I thought the the glory hole was cheeky and fun and <laughs> ridiculous. And plus this gave us like really prime GGB content in the talking heads. Um I thought that the the dance rehearsal, I mean, have you seen Todrick actually fall down laughing before? Usually he's doing like like the bitchy taskmaster kind of thing and instead GGB's like, uh, "How are the feet doing again?" In what part? all of it, and he just, like, starts laughing and just falls over. It's great, because that such is the power of Jujubee to make even Tadric Hall have a good time um, when he's trying to be his most, you know, like, scary, I guess, choreographer dude. So, yeah, that was that was super fun. And then watching, like, the, the, the runway, thought, thought, the, the interviews were, were pretty good. They were not all that memorable, but they were pretty solid. And then the runway was terrific. And I thought a bunch of the queens looked amazing. They pretty much all looked really good. Um, some of them, it was like the best look I've ever seen them do on Drag Race. And the f- top three crushed it. I cannot think of a time that Jujubee or Cracker has looked better uh, ever. Yeah, Absolutely. This is the time that you should do it, and this is the time that they did it. And they they did it with these really high glam looks, but also super personal looks and really specific looks. And that is what really helped elevate just a standard look. Like that the that orange sash, I know some people didn't like that, which was mind-boggling to me. I thought it was Fantastic! I loved it for uh for for Jujubee, um and then the, and those nails, oh fabulous! And then Cracker going like Russian, um like folk sort of styling was such a creative thing. I've never seen her really dive into on the show before, uh, and so I thought that was really interesting. And then for Shay to take and just do like another sixties glamorous look, but specifically tie it into her mom's prom dress. And like, it was, it was really smart. It was really beautiful. And, um, apparently the same designer did two of the three dresses on the, of the top three. I can't remember which two. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, they just, they looked amazing. They crushed it. The, the song was fine. It wasn't nearly as good as the season one, season two and three 
ones, Kitty Girl and um, uh, Red, Read You Wrote You. Uh, but it was at least better than last time, which was Super Queen. So I'll take it. And uh, while I actually, I think I, I think I actually prefer Jujubee, I do think Shay won the episode. And yes. so, and she was clearly who they were going to pick based on how they were plotting the season. But I do think she had the best performance. She had the best lip sync. What a great lip sync song. Um, and Jujubee won the runway for me, but two out of three ain't bad. Any thoughts on the lip sync? No, I absolutely agree. I think Shay just dominated that lip sync really smartly. Um, and with like a good bit of gameplay, um, in terms of, I'm going to do something very different and found a really good way to pull focus by being very different in how you're going to approach a lip sync. And because everyone else was going kind of big and dancey and Shay just goes, I'm going to pop and lock and do the robot. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to win. And exa- <laughs> it's just exactly how it's going to work. Um, because how I, it just, it worked a lot better. And I normally don't get to say this when I, because of just how the, how the lip syncs get edited, but I was just like, yeah, no, I don't need you to cut away to anyone else because I just want to watch this one performance. I don't need to see the other two, really, Mm -hmm. because this is winning right here now. So I don't need to see anything else, um, which is how I felt about it. Yeah. I also just, like, it kind of just speaks to her uh, read of of the, the meta textual part of Drag Race. Her look was fantastic, and then when you realize that it is a like a mirror of uh, Sasha's look from the li- season nine finale lip sync, that where she got eliminated, I did not realize that. That's... Yeah, because Sasha was in the red with wig the, with the it was the same same wig just in red, and then and that mm-hmm. red flower dress and Shay's in the the blue with then her fabulous dress too, like. I was like, huh, it's interesting that Shay is not doing a, a outfit that allows her to move as much. And because she didn't need to because she uh, of how she approached it. But then when you put when you look, I mean, I you know, listeners look it up. If you look side by side at those two, the Sasha season nine finale rose petal look and then Shay's lip sync look at the end that she was crowned in. It's like, oh, my, Shay, Shay's really smart. She's really good at doing drag race. And so. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, and if in case you didn't enjoy Shay enough, she was also on Twitter the other day um, losing her mind because Elizabeth Warren called her to congratulate her. Uh-huh. <laughs> or I should say Elizabeth Warren called them to congratulate them. Yeah. Um, and and they were just like, ah! Like so many of us would, would be. would be too. Goodness. Yeah. That's great. It's very exciting. Anyways, so congratulations to Shay Kalei. Congratulations to all the viewers who were introduced to Jujubee for the first time. Go on to Hulu and watch season two. I rewatched season two this this uh, week, or maybe it was even for the first time. And season two is stacked. Like, yeah. it's it's a very... Well, and it, because several of the people in season two have come back for various all-stars, or like Raven does... I mean, Raven does all of Rue's makeup, but also does fashion photo review and a bunch of the other like drag race kind of related things. So in season two, you've got Jujubee, you've got Shangela for the first time, even if... I'll, I'll be it briefly. You've got um, Jujubee, you've got Morgan McMichaels, you've got... There's just a bunch of people that... Uh, 
have gone. Tatiana, right, came back and and just crushed it in, in All Stars uh, in her season. So like, there's just there's a lot to really enjoy about season, and also just like a peek back to what the show was like in like 2010, 2011. So yeah. Anyways. Congratulations to all those people. And Miss Cracker did a really good job as well. I was, you know, less hot on her of the three, but she also really turned it out too. It was it was a satisfying finale. It was. And yeah, no, I I may go watch season two for a little bit of extra jujube. It's very good. Watch we'll her see. reading challenge. Like look up which one is the reading challenge because the first mm-hmm. ever reading challenge is season two. And it okay. was like I think they did it at like the top five or top six, so there aren't that many queens. And several mm-hmm. of them do pretty good. But Juju B just destroys it. She's just so good. <laughs> it's not close. Um, anyways, uh speaking of satisfying uh episodes this week, what did you think about your triumphant return? To the top of the standings in Jelly's Marble Runs, Marble League 2020. Congratulations to the Minty Maniacs. Back on top. I'm so happy, Kate. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy. I, 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 I feel bad that I wanted the O-Rangers to do worse. Because um, it's, still, it's still not much of a lead. It's like a nine-point lead yeah. um, between first and second. So that's not enough. No. It's not We're enough space. We're coming for you. It's not a, it's not enough breathing room. Can't, well, the next one is the mega funnel, right? Or like the yeah, the black yeah. hole funnel. I don't even know what that is. I'm yeah. very excited. And um, arrangers can do a funnel, man. Hopefully, they not can that, do a funnel. Wood. So I'm I'm worried about that. Um, both of these, I think, are fine. Uh, the mogul race was not nearly as exciting as I was hoping it was going to be in yeah. terms of the presentation. Um, it was a tilted sand pit, and the hills. Like some sort, if there was a way that they could do the sand pit where they had like layers of packed sands mm-hmm. of different colors, and so then when it was carved yeah. out, you could see the elevation, that would make yes. a huge difference because yes. it mostly just looked it like at least on my internet connection, it just looked like a flat sand pit. It didn't, you yes. couldn't see. Yeah. And part of that may just be their camera setup. Part of it may just be our internet connections, but it just feels, it felt very flat. Mm-hmm. So there was just like a, oh, this is kind of boring uh, kind of sense about it. Uh, the five meter sprint, I think is better, but I've watched the sprints before on the show. Um, so I knew what to expect. And you kind of get a taste of it again with the hurdles um, earlier in this uh, tournament where just don't knock back and forth between between the barriers. Just stay on one side and you're golden. Well, easier said than done. Some easier of us said than done. had teams who didn't manage to do that as well as the Minty Maniacs. <laughs> so I just feel a little sore about it over here at Ranger Land. But um, I will say that uh, I, I, enjo- I, I enjoyed uh, the way that they handled the replays and everything. I thought that was all well done. And there were some ridiculous finishes, like a, a one hundredth of a second photo finish. And then there was a two hundredth of a second finished uh difference and also several tenths of a second and yeah so like there were some really close calls and two records set yeah um which was also very exciting um we should also um pour one out for friend of the shows streaming in place marcus and his team galactics they had a strong first showing very strong first showing. I was very excited for Team Galactic um, in that first showing. I was just like, yeah, yeah. And I, in my brain, I'm just like, oh, we're going to get it. We're going to get a 
we're going to get a Minty Maniacs, O-Rangers, Team Galactic like showdown. Top three. Yeah. And then... Then the Rangers got, like, 8th or 10th or something. 10th. And then the Galactic went out in the semifinals, uh, put out by the Minty Maniacs. Yeah. (laughs) And the Raspberry Racers. Um, So, yeah. Still good. Still entertaining. Just, I need more space. So, I'm sorry, Kate, that I'm actively rooting against the (laughs) Rangers right now. Um, But I am very nervous about the Black Hole Funnel. Uh, which is the next event, and yeah. very worried because, like you said, Rangers know what to do with a funnel. So we'll see what happens. I'm very excited for it next week. It is just such ridiculous, silly fun. So, I, yeah. listeners, if you are following along, let us know who you're rooting for because inquiring minds want to know. Um, next up is Perry Mason with Chapter 6, and I just figured I'd mention, you know, quickly, I am still watching it. There are two episodes left. Um, we are at the point of the season where Perry Mason is now uh, a lawyer- and he is, Noel is doing air quotes, listeners. Um, and he is trying to, his first ever case, he's not great at it. Um, and he's frustrated about like, like, but listen, this, this has to, this is, how are you excluding this evidence? But this, that's not the law. And the judge is like, you pissed me off. So ellipses. Um, there's some good fun stuff happening. Um, they, they've got some late twists or like reveals coming with uh, around the church that I'm excited about. I think there's a lot more potential for interest and fun there. I am not curious about how the sister uh, Alice, I'm going to say Alice, is going to resurrect the baby. Um, but I am like, I am curious how the show is going to play that. So like, I'm there's no suspense for me about what's going to happen at the church. Um, and what she's going to do, but there's a lot of suspense. Like, show, you've really played this up. Like, how are you going to thread this needle? Because, like, I'm intrigued. Um, so, anyways, we'll see what happens with that. Over and uh, on, on, I'm guessing, Crunchyroll, we have Cardcaptor Sakura Seasons 1 through 3. So, not on Crunchyroll. Okay. Um, this is, this is, this is a little bit of a cut. Um... Because this anime actually ran from 1998 to 2000. Okay. It dropped on Netflix um, relatively recently, and my partner and I decided to start watching it. I had never actually seen it before, even though I'm familiar with it. Uh, This is based on a manga from the um, artist-writer collective known as Clamp. Um, They're terrific. They're known for their... um, very pretty, very long bodies <laughs> for their <laughs> characters. Anyway, so this is a very sweet little story about a elementary school girl who accidentally unleashes a bunch of cards around her city that she has to go and then capture using magical powers. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this show that I do not want to dig into, but it's just very sweet and silly and delightful um even if i don't love the dub because they pronounce um sakura as sakura which is not correct so there's there's that stuff but this this is aired um in the united states under a couple different ways it was on kids wb um for about a year it was on toonami over on cartoon network for a little while um but in very edited ways because the show runs for about 70 episodes, but only about 40 ever saw the light of day in the U.S. Um, in part because there's a lot of, like, 
young queer content in it um that is very sweet and very moving um but it is also delightful in that <laughs> some of it wasn't re some of like the more explicit stuff about two characters being in love with the same teenage boy even though they're in fifth grade not getting dubbed so it's in the original japanese and subtitled but then it kicks right back into the dub if you're watching the dub um which is just delightful so I, my partner and I both really enjoyed watching this. I liked revisiting something from the early aughts of anime. Uh, so by that metric, it's an old show. Uh, but the animation across the board is really, really pretty and really well done. It's done by Madhouse, who always does pretty solid work. Um, so I actively enjoyed watching it. And if you're looking for something to kind of watch while doing something else and you're interested in a really kind of soft anime that still has for the first 43 episodes or so really good mystery stuff i actively encourage you seek it out now how what is the connection if any to soccer request is there any or is it just the same word just the same word sakura is uh rose petals oh okay Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, well, what about your next show here, which is uh, Dimension 20's Fantasy High, Season 1, Episode 1 through 15? Right. So Dimension 20 is a television show produced out of um, College Humor that aired a few episodes on YouTube and then went to College Humor's um, dropout.tv streaming set-top service. Um, but they've dropped all three of Dimension 20's campaigns, and Dimension 20 is a D&D live play with folks from College Humor playing Dungeons & Dragons. Um, so Fantasy High takes place with a group of fresh, freshly christened high schoolers who go to an adventuring academy and have to save their city. Um, I love this. Um, <laughs> I've been watching it for two weeks and I'm, I'm, I have two episodes left. And Kate, this is some of the best stuff I've watched this over the past. <laughs> um, so it's really funny as you would expect with a bunch of like improv and comedians, um, who work at college humor. Um, but it is also really well DM'd by, uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, um, like top tier, uh, dungeon master, um, type work here but it's also just really great storytelling in terms of character growth dealing with uh like a queer awakening um dealing with bad parents except no one really only only a couple of people actually have bad parents which is a nice inversion of this kind of a story where everyone has bad parents and in fact only two people have bad parents everyone else's parents kind of good and cool and complicated, which is the other thing is that the NPCs end up being very kind of richly textured and layered, but also in really delightful ways. So all of this is on YouTube um, and episodes are structured really, really nicely. I will let you know as someone who I know enjoys Dungeons and Dragons is that one episode will be very plot character driven and end with a call for an initiative role. And then the next episode will be a long battle. And then the next episode is dealing with the ramifications of said battle and furthering the plot and so on. So it's a good alternating sort of style in terms of how they structure this, um, which makes it very, very watchable, I think. 
um, as opposed to having little battles sprinkled out throughout all the episodes. You just get a big battle um, that is meticulously staged with really good miniatures and like maps and stuff that are just so well done and really exciting to watch and people move their uh, tokens around. So I've actively enjoyed this. There are some really solid runners um, throughout the campaign for the jokes that are just so very good. Kate, I don't want to spoil them in case you decide to seek this out, but they're, they're just really good. And I've actively enjoyed watching this. Um, and I had so many feels in episode 15, Kate, just all the feels. And I'm very worried about the two-part finale. I'm very worried about the two-part finale. Okay. Well, how many seasons yeah. have there been? So it... they've done three campaigns. This uh-huh. was the first one. Uh-huh. And they have two more um, that... Uh, hang on. Uh, they have... Well, that's weird. Oh, so they've got like five... They have five seasons with three main campaigns and two side quest campaigns. Okay. Um, they have... A, season two is Escape from the Blood Keep. And which I haven't seen any of. Then season four is Tiny Heist, which fe- features some of the uh, Macoroys from the Adventure Zone podcast. I've seen the first episode of that, but then it went to dropout. And I didn't see the rest of it. Um, and the main campaigns are Fantasy High, The Unsleeping City, and A Crown of Candy. Um, so I'm going to dive into whatever the next full campaign is, because um, I think they've dropped the main campaigns in. Um Along with Escape from Bloodkeep, I think, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm good. Either way, I'm like, oh, I've got so much stuff to watch on my phone now when I'm doing dishes or not going to sleep. Um, <laughs> but I've really enjoyed this. So I'd encourage folks if you're interested in the D and D live play stuff, this is very, very good. I think. Um, and these like originally ran um, in 2018 and like the fantasy high ran from September, 2018 to January, 2019. Mm-hmm. So it's another little bit of a dip into like the past, but it's still really good. And I, I have actively, actively enjoyed it. So. Okay. That's a high recommendation. I would seek it out. Yeah. yeah. I'd seek it out. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm intrigued. Certainly know what I will pop on next once I finish my catch up with seasons I may or may not have watched of Drag Race. Um, <laughs> our, our, our last new show of the week is Winona Earp, which you are not watching and I get it. Fair enough. Uh, I, I the, we were not big fans of season three, at least, uh, at, at after a certain point. Um, but I am back for season four, at least for now. The premiere is on the road again. And it's really fun. It it, do, it does all the things I want Winona Earp to do. And it does them, in mm-hmm. a, at least so far, in a way that's satisfying. But I'm fully aware that my trend with Winona Earp, except for season two, has been strong premiere. Yes. And then after a while, things fall apart. <laughs> or they don't follow through on things that they need to do to really commit like lots of great ideas but will it have the depth that i'm looking for they had they found that in in season two i don't feel like they really did it in a great way in season three um so i have my fingers crossed for season four we'll see but it's certainly off to a strong start of the season i liked their answers about the 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 garden so far the the you know what we have doc and waverly doing having gone through the portal or whatever getting gotten snatched and pulled through more specifically well you know what we then we have 
Winona and Nicole kind of stuck together trying to figure some things out. And then a return of Black Badge. Doll's got a shout out, which was nice. That's nice. So, yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff. Uh, There's some zombies in this. Well, like they aren't called zombies, but functionally zombies. I'm not big on zombies, uh, but uh, hopefully I'm I'm waiting for the hero shot of the the character uh, who has survived the throng of zombies that should have killed them. Um, I know there's an awesome, like, badass hero shot coming for that character. Uh, I look forward to whenever that's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of the same fun and personality that we expect from Anona Herb. I think fans of the show are, are, I'm certain, very pleased by this premiere. Ends on a cliffhanger. Looking forward to the next episode. But the, um, the, the people who have been turned off by the show this might not win them back other than you know there's not a lot of stuff on right now uh but if you haven't if you were like on the fence or you were like yeah i like it enough i would say seek it out have fun with it um and if if you were actively turned off by the show i don't know that anything in here will win you back it's not like it doesn't feel like it's a response to or it feels like a continuation of so We'll see how the season progresses. I probably won't check in with it every week, but uh, I figured I would mention it since it is back, and I had quite a bit of fun with that that first uh, episode. Uh, so next up is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Stolen. Um, what did you think? It's fine. Um, I've already mentioned that I'm not crazy about how we've gone back to the Inhuman well, and we're still here, and we're not leaving anytime soon, I feel <laughs> like. And I, with only two episodes left, um, which is bonkers to me that we only have two episodes left, that I, I, I wish we had gone more into the, like the actual MCU and like started messing things up, which is what I was really hoping was going to happen. And now we're obviously not going to do that. And I'm very upset. Um, <laughs> it was too much to hope that they were just going to give a middle finger to Kevin Feig. Um, but yeah. On the whole, though, I think this episode is okay. I think everything with uh, Daisy and uh, Jing... How do you pronounce her name? Uh, Jiang. Jiang, thank you. Um, Played really well, even though that is not a thing I'm invested in. Um, I think both of the actors help carry me through it. Um, Everything else is generally, I think, okay. But it's a lot of, like... We need to get to point A to point B in this episode... So for me, there wasn't a whole lot of like really great stuff here, but all the stuff with Daisy and her mom, I think provided a solid enough emotional core. And I'm sure Enver is glad he doesn't have to act with a cane anymore. <laughs> um, see, I I actually like this quite a bit more than you. Because okay. for me, it does feel like they're blowing shit up. Um, but they're just blowing up shield stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I was very surprised when they're like, oh, no, we're just going to kill a bunch of people. We're going to kill our teleporter, uh, Gordon. We're going to kill Ji Yang. And Daisy will now never be born in this timeline. Like, like who knows what all of this means? I'm assuming we're going to get a reset of some sort, but maybe yeah. not. 
who knows? Um, so they're just like, oh yeah, no, we're, we're not kidding. We're doing this. We are, we have reached the waves. Ripples, not waves is over. We are at waves. We are heading towards tsunami, um, uh, was affecting. I liked that they did a few things that I wasn't anticipating. I liked that Daisy was just straight up to Gemma. So, uh, is Fitz dead? Because WTF, this was your reaction. Um, and, and I like that the episode actively engages with that instead of leaving it to be something that the fans are thinking about that the characters are not aware of. Um, I liked, uh, I, I, I mean, Nathaniel is just, you know, I need to memorize that German word. He's just so face punchable. Uh, I don't care about Cora even a no, little. No, not even a little. It's and so that difficult. is not great because I think we need to care about her for where it feels like this is headed and that's going to be a problem. But we'll see. Uh, I hope to be wrong about that. I've been wrong about plenty of things recently in TV, so I hope to be wrong about that. Um, I do I do have an issue with the show after years and years of really specific and thoughtful representation for people with disabilities or who are, who have, you know, in, in Gaya's case, her arms amputated and uh, in uh, uh, Suze's case, right, his leg having been, uh, having lost his leg in World War II, just like being like, we fixed them, they're fine, yeah. don't think about it. Like, they mentioned the prosthetic, which is something. Other shows wouldn't even do that. But, like, do you need to do that? Like, it makes sense that he would have a prosthetic, but, like, why, like, why not do more to have this character not be fixed by your technology. Now he was broken, but thankfully he's fixed and he's normal now. And that's what it feels like they've done with yo-yo a bit. And like, so they're not worried. Are they worried about traveling through time now? Cause we'll just let her choose to have her, her other uh, arms, you know, her, her not photorealistic arms back. Like there's things that they could be doing here to stay true to that aspect of the show that they are not doing. And it's frustrating to me and extending that to Sousa. I think, um, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure the actor is glad to not have to do the limp thing. Cause that can actually really build up over time and be cause physical difficulties, uh, for, for actors. But, um, I, I expect better from the show on that. Uh, I also was not all that fond of our uh, our, our Paxton thing, Garrett. Uh, and yes, I get what they're doing by having Bill Paxton's son play the young Bill Paxton. But I think just do that casting and then don't have him do a Paxton as Garrett impersonation. Because that's very clearly what he's doing. And it was broad and over the top when it was pa- Bill Paxton doing it. But that's what and Bill Paxton so- does is broad and over the top, which is why it works. <laughs> well, but like, he, it, it, it's very specific choices from him. Like, that's what he was going for. That's what he was doing. It was campy and ridiculous and fun. And they just took it to nine. There are no... Sorry, they took it to 11 before they killed off the character. This should be a less over-the-top version of that, not a more heightened version of it. And it feels like a more heightened version for them to go, see what we're doing, huh? See, you guys, see what they're doing? It's like, yeah, I get he looks like his dad. That's enough. Um, so that actually took me out of it quite a bit um, in, in this for this specific episode. I'm hoping, but not all that optimistic, that that will be tweaked. In the next episode, but we'll see. I, I seriously doubt it. He's too pumped about his teleportation powers. So pumped that he doesn't know the word teleport, even yeah. though teleport definitely existed as a word in the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
<sighs> Do you have any final thoughts? I mean, I agree with you regarding Garrett is like, it doesn't make sense that he's exactly like he was right before he died, which is, was really frustrating because it was, one of the things about this is like, it's, remember, we know you remember Garrett, but do you remember Garrett? Um, <laughs> and the answer is yes. I remember Garrett. It was played by, he was played by John Pat. He was played by Paxton and I, I, I like Paxton a lot. So I don't I don't need you to remind me about what Paxton was doing. In fact, don't remind me. Mm -hmm. Show me how he started a little bit. Well, our last episode uh, for the week is Stargirl Shining Night. And I have two main thoughts about this episode. Yes. I have three main thoughts about this episode. The okay. one that just came to me was, of course, we got to talk about Amy Smart being terrific and yes. everything they do with her here. But my two main thoughts are... Jeff Stoltz, yay enlisted. He's a piece of shit. And also, how beautiful some of the stuff that they were giving, and I don't know the name of the actor, the actor who plays uh, The Shining Knight. And, like, the, the line that I put into the notes is when he's, like, he's asking about the horse, and he's clearly having difficulties. He clearly has mental trauma and, um, and memory loss, and the guy gives him a hard time and mocks him for that, and he says, the wounds received in battle bestow honor, they do not take it away. It was, I was like, oh my god, did I just get choked up about people talking about mental health on Stargirl? I think I got choked up by, like, a, like, an Arthurian knight who's lost in the present and just would like his horse plays. Congratulations, Stargirl. No, so, yes, Everything with Amy Smart is really, really great. I like all of it. Like, I love the scene with them in the basement going to revive the, um, whatchamacallit, going to re try to revive the staff after it's just gone, kind of gone dormant on everyone. Um, so all of that. But it's just, it's really good. And considering where we were when the show started and we're very much like, um, no, show you have Amy Smart. We know she's good. We know she didn't happen, but we know she's good. <laughs> Why are you not doing anything with her? Um, and it doesn't even feel like, oh, well, we were just waiting. It's just like, no, you just really wanted to drive home the, the, um, Pat, um, Pat Courtney relationship and really fine, fine tune that. And I get that. So hopefully in season two, whatever season two of the show looks like, because I have questions about what season two of the show looks like, given where we're ramping up. Um, not bad questions, just questions um, that I really hope she's more central going forward. Hopefully, hopefully they don't kill her. I don't want them. Don't let them kill. Amy don't Smart. kill Amy smart don't show. Amy don't do smart it. Show. Um, so also don't kill Mike. Yeah. Talk don't about kill getting Mike. Any dusty moments. They, that, that young actor, we've had our, our qualms with him kind of hamming yes. it up a little bit, but he crushed that moment with Pat. Yes, yes, he did. He really, really did. It was very good. Um, the show's finding ways to reach deep, um, in, especially over the last, this episode and the previous episode, that I'm just consistently very surprised by. Um, Jeff Stoltz um, coming in to just play a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Holy hell, just beautiful, beautiful casting. Because Stoltz plays a piece of shit so well. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but then just to be like, see it, kiddo. When he comes for the necklace, and that's the whole reason he's actually here. Yeah. Ugh. They wait just the right amount of time to do it. And they have right. him do it in the worst possible way. Which is the, and in the most honest way. Yeah. 
And then Luke Wilson gets to be the most traditionally badass Luke Wilson has ever been with <laughs> you're lucky I'm busy. And it's just like, the f***? <laughs> this is so good. Um, so all of that, I think, works really well. So I liked all of that. And I like that the show carved out the time to do that um, because it would have been very easy to rush headlong into like a three-part finale basically and they're just like nope we need to do a little reset we need to do we need to get amy smart's character barbara on board we need to do all this stuff and the best way to do that is by having courtney's bio dad come in um so i think all of that is really really good all the stuff with sir justin is gold uh that's mark ashworth um who doesn't have a lot of credits to his name um he was in the remake of the magnificent seven he was did a couple episodes of doom patrol um and he was also in an episode of the walking dead but at this point who hasn't been in an episode of the walking Mm -hmm. dead um but i really really like it um he's really good like you said there's like lots of really great little touches both aesthetically with that character down to Kate, his hat has winged victory on it. And I just, I I couldn't, once I recognized it, I just kind of couldn't get over it. Um, and I just went, so it's really good. I don't even have like that big of a connection to uh, shining Knight. like not a character that I was particularly good in, let alone vigilante. But I really like what they're doing with everything here. And I'm really interested to see how they hopefully incorporate him going forward or at the very least incorporate him in these final two episodes. Yeah. Are we, is it a 13 episode season? Uh, let me double uh, check. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds right. So we got two more here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 13. We've got Stars and Stripe. Part one and two. Part one and part two. Yeah, um, yeah. The I liked the. I mean, I thought it was very believable how how long it took Pat to connect to who he was, and the idea that Pat would have seen him around but not recognized him, um, just because he's been busy, he hasn't really been looking, and the various yeah. times that he has interact, like been at the high school or interacted with him, so um, or just like wouldn't have seen him across the way at the football game. Right. Um, and I mean, when, again, you're talking, we're talking about Barbara being so well-written here and them letting Amy smart do stuff. The fact that like things are shaky with Pat and Barbara right now. And she's like, yeah, well, obviously I'm going to go make up this fair bedroom for your friend because he's clearly been through a lot. Like we might have our stuff, but also I am not a terrible person. Of course we are opening our home to this person who might be dangerous and was brandishing a sword and about to kill you the other, you know, earlier because he thought you were the dragon king, you know, like the, the way that they are incorporating that character and not glossing over the dangers and the, the trauma that he's dealing with every day, uh, I think is, is really, um, heartening to see. And I just hope he does it again. I, I want him to have some level of healing. I just don't want him to be like fixed. And I don't imagine on this show so far from what they've been doing in the first season, I don't expect him to be just like instantly fixed and he's fine. And now he just kind of wanders around in the background, you know, doing like still being the janitor so that he can stay on the show, but then also quoting 
lines about, uh, you know, the, the round table and everything. So I, I expect him to have something more interesting planned. Um, we, we shall see, but, uh, yeah, it was, I was surprised by how, how connected I was with this episode and like the, 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 they've built this last chunk of the season really, really well, like really specifically. And I think it's paying off. So I'm looking forward to the finale. I'm, I'm looking forward to the finale as well. And I think one of the things I'm also that I'm looking forward to is that, Jordan's on kind of unsteady ground, I think, a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, in no small part, because one of the things that I uh, told to my partner is that, yeah, no, I mean, you definitely want, like, a brainwave on the team, because those powers are useful, but you also don't want a brainwave on the team, because those powers are also really scary, and they're all those kinds of characters, especially in comic books, tend to also be very difficult to manipulate and to control. Um, so, whereas with like, you know, Sportsmaster and Tigress, you can just let them punch a bunch of folks, and they'll be okay. They're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But Henry has like drives and interests and agendas. Um, that maybe don't necessarily line up with what Jordan wants down to the point of, oh, no, 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 it's not going to be six states in the Midwest. It's going to be the entire Midwest and some of the mountain time zone. Um, We're just going to take over the entire middle section of the country, basically. And I'm like, that's more than I think Jordan wants. And I'm really interested. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, so I'm really interested in seeing how that corner of the show plays out. Um, even if maybe, like, there hasn't been enough on Jordan's emotional journey to maybe be uneven. And if it's just all coming from Henry being a little more Henry than usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, an issue with the show is that the villains are overpowered compared to yeah. the heroes. Right. I mean, they still got Solomon Grundy, right? <laughs> they can always go pull him out if they want to. But um, but I think they've done a, a good enough job of building in and establishing some of these relationships, building in, like, fractures, uh, such that you can see them getting turning on each other enough to give our heroes a bit of an edge which is necessary otherwise our heroes are going to lose so uh yeah it should be it should be interesting that is that it also ignores the fact that we have not mentioned the dangers of the fiddler and her excellent violin playing <laughs> the dangers to my seen. to my eyes that we haven't seen for episodes and i cannot wait for it to come back and for kate just to throw something at her television <laughs> yeah yeah well on that cheerful note thanks for reminding me hey Noel, we've we... got a very cheerful note coming up in our yeah. <laughs> that's true <laughs> listeners get ready um what wins your week in tv uh dimension 20s uh fantasy high like it's the best thing i've watched in two weeks it's just been really really great uh it's brought me a great deal of joy um what about you um i for me it'd be either the all-stars finale or uh, I have really enjoyed going back to rewatch uh, Drag Race uh, season one and two. I did really enjoy uh, so what I've seen so far of Sugar Rush. For those who uh, would like to know, Naya Rivera was the guest judge on the second episode of season Oof. three. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, time for a change of pace from Tales from the Loop. Let's put on Sugar Rush. It's the Naya Rivera episode. 
This is very bittersweet. She seems really, really lovely. Um, oh, she's talking about her son. Um, so anyways, be warned and or go seek that out, depending on your relationship with that star presence and that story. Um, but I, of these episodes, uh, I'll give it to Shining Knight from, from Stargirl. Um, Yes, it's it's either the because fa- I don't want to underrate the finale first for All Stars because I did really like it. I gave it an A minus. I really like. I almost gave it an A. I really liked it. Um, but yeah, I'll 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 give it to Star Girl just for because it surprised me how affected I was. So that will wrap up our weekend TV. Now we will take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back to talk about season one of Amazon Prime's Tales from the Loop. says something's impossible, I prove it's possible. Not everything in life makes sense. That was a trailer for season one of Amazon Prime's Tales from the Loop. And this is an hour-long kind of quasi-anthology drama, uh, sci-fi, you know, ish kind of show. This is Eureka if it was less about whimsy and more about reflections on humanity and uh, reflections on existence. I like that description. <laughs> um, so I had not heard of this at all, so, uh, Noel, yes. until you mentioned it. What... You know, did you, were you excited about this one? I know it's based on a pre-existing, like, art book or something. Yes. Um, what what drew your attention to this and what did you think of season one? Right. So I've seen the art book, which is, uh, it's a narrative art book that is uh, written and, um, like, painted and sketched by um, a Swedish author um, named Simon Stalinhag. Um, and I've seen th- the art book around, uh, basically, um, and it's it's always re- the art for it has always really captured me for a couple of reasons. One is that it really, for me, calls to mind um, Chris Christopher McQuarrie, who did all the concept work for the original trilogy for the Star Wars movies, and th- I've always liked McQuarrie's art style and concept work for those for those movies and Sullenhag's style and approach to things for me really mimics a lot of that. And all of it centers around the idea that, um, this like Swedish town has constructed a massive like particle accelerator called the loop underneath. So there's like 
technology everywhere, like robots and type of stuff, but juxtaposed against like the Swedish meadows and prairies and fields and that kind of a thing, um, while also still being like part of like a domestic setting, basically. So there's something very, um, two friends of mine who were the only two people who responded to the mm-hmm. tweet I sent out about the show. Um, one of them said that one of the things that they really liked about the artwork was the how mundane the subject matter is depicted as being, which I think is really accurate um, for the artwork. Um, the art book has since been turned into a tabletop role-playing game, also called Tales of From the Loop, um, that takes place in the 1980s, either in the United States or Sweden. Um, it was developed by a Swedish company, but then, um, whatchamacallit, they did a localization for the United States as well, um, where you play as, um, stereotypical kids from, like, a 1980s story that have to balance doing mystery stuff and kid stuff, so parents, school, bullies, etc., etc., um, I haven't played the game. I've read that it's pretty solid, um, but I haven't played it. Um, I want to, but I just have not. Um, so all of that leads into when I saw that Amazon was picking up Tales from the Loop. I was like, oh, cool. All right, neat. Let's see what they do with it. And what they do with it is, like you said, this kind of loose anthos science fiction anthology show that takes place in Ohio, um, that also has like a big particle accelerator or some sort of weird physics lab underground called Loop. Um, and so all eight of these first episodes deal with people in the town dealing with some sort of technological marvel um, that turns into a meditation on humanity or some particular theme. Um, and yeah, so I was excited about it on a conceptual level from based on the IP. Um, I'm, I don't know that I can recommend this to people. Um, and I watched all of it. You watched four and a half episodes. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I recommend this to people, even though I, I'm pretty sure I liked it, but I also acknowledge that. It is not, I have like weird issues with it that I just kind of haven't fully been able to grapple with. Um, but I still, it's, I think the biggest thing for me before we'd like get nitty gritty and I also get your general response to the episodes that you watched is that it very much feels like another attempt by Amazon to get a Black Mirror when they had also tried to do the Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams as well, which is the Channel 4 thing that I was thinking of, not this. Um, And that didn't hit. This hasn't hit um, because, like, no one I know has seen this. And this came out, like, again, this April. Um, um, So it very much feels like Amazon can't break through with anything that isn't The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel really... Um, that isn't like also dad TV being like Bosch or, uh, Jack Ryan, but that they're still trying to figure out what their content library is supposed to look like. And they think that Tales of the Loop is one of those things that should fit in. And I'm not sure that that is the case. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a weird duck of a show 
for me that I like some episodes of more than others, but it's still, it's still a thing that exists. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How did you feel about it on like broad terms? Again, you only watched the first 4.5 episodes. You only watched 4.5 episodes for a good reason. Um, So why don't you talk a little bit about your, your experience watching these episodes this week? Yeah. um, So listeners, I watched four and a half episodes of this show, of the season. There are eight episodes and I had the time to watch more. And instead I watched people try to quickly bake cupcakes uh, and other things because this, this show is really carefully and um, thoughtfully made. And it features a bunch of really um, present performances, very talented, like a bunch of people you've seen be really good in other stuff. Like Rebecca Hall is one of the main characters here. Jonathan Price is one of the main characters. Like there's, uh, it centers on a family sort of, but then there's different standalone episodes that, that are like set in the town that don't have a, a, as direct of a connection to that central family. But that central family is featured in like, three of the eight episodes, which is why I say they're the the leads. But um, this is not really anything on the show. This is on me. And uh, this is absolutely the worst show I could think of for me to watch right now. Do not watch this show. This show is a terrible fucking show to watch in the middle of a quarantine and a global pandemic. I say that assuming you don't have space right now in your mental health for pain, tragedy, uh, trauma, and guttingly honest um, existential takes on fun, poppy sci-fi premises. Yeah. So... If that sounds like your jam, go watch it. Have fun. Have a blast. But the first episode deals with, among other things, strained relationships between um, parents and the mothers and their children and parental abandonment. And it gets more depressing from there. And what is the, the potentially the most depressing thing about it is how honest and real it is in those. It doesn't flinch. It doesn't linger in trauma for trauma's sake. It just says, like, if we start with the premise that, like, body swap, or if we start with the premise that young teenager freezing time, um, what would actually happen with these types of characters we're, we're centering our story on? Would the teen body swap work out just fine or would it end horribly and in tragedy scarring everyone forever? Probably the more honest thing is the latter. And that's what this show does. Um, It's just not something I have the mental energy and space for right now. If you watched Rectify and you were like, I really like Rectify and it's, it's contemplations on trauma and suffering and um the the nature of humanity but it was too hopeful so can we get rectify the pacing of rectify the internal very 
thoughtful performances of Rectify, but without the joy and hope, that is the show. At least that's how it feels right now in the middle of a global pandemic. So I, I, fin- I was, I had time to watch a third episode the first night that I was watching it, but I got to the end of the second, I got partway through the second episode. Well, I can't stop. I'm not allowed to stop. I want to stop, but I can't stop. Uh, let's look up how this ends. Yeah, I want to stop, but I'm not gonna, cause I mean, and this is, not on Noel, this is on me, my own sense of stupid obligation, I feel, to the podcast. It is also on me with. because I wanted to do this show. So no, it's not on you. <laughs> you were like, just stop watching it. And yeah. and I was, I was like, no, I'm going to, you know. So, but then I was like, okay, so I'm done for tonight. I'm not watching more. This is, and then, and then I stayed up later than I should have. I was like, I need to cleanse the pal- palate. Let's watch the, let's watch the season two reunion episode of Drag Race because I can't go to bed on the note that episode two ends on. Um, and then I watched the next two episodes, uh, the next day and was like, okay, well, again, I want to stop, but I don't feel like I can't. At least I will watch the finale. Let's just watch. That way I can feel, I know that the characters in the first episode come back in the, the finale. So like, at least then I like will have a sense of the overall pacing of the season. And it got to the halfway point of the finale and I was just like, I have more time. I I'm not doing this to myself though. So um it's a beautiful, lovely show. It is the show I have most hated watching in a very long time. So it's just painfully not a show for me. Certainly not right now. Maybe in a happier time where I'm more interested in examining trauma and, like, horrible things happening without any uh, sense of a reason to it. But that hits a little... That hits a little too close right now. (laughs) Terrible things happening to people for reasons outside of their control. Um, Yeah, that hits a little close. So I do have some actual, like, quibbles with the show separate from that, the tonal issues. And that's what I would actually like to engage with, uh, with you about it. Um, unless you have any other thoughts about like where I'm at, I can't literally. I can't think of the last time I have been like, "Fuck this show!" No, I'm not doing this because that's that's very much what it felt like. <laughs> no, no, I think that's all very, very fair because of the show's approach to dealing with, like you say, trauma. Um, but also like also dealing with these concepts of young people in love and that kind of weirdness of teenagerhood or this idea of, I think I only like myself. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, when you're faced with that kind of a concept, literally, um, down to that childlike desire for things to never change because you think that this is the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean (laughs) for you? And there's all of that stuff across these episodes baked into that kind of a concept. Um, There are plenty of things to quibble with down to the fact that my big thing with the, all of the episodes is that they're all entirely too long. Um, Almost all the episodes are between 50 to an hour, 50 to 60 minutes long. And almost none of them need to be that long. Um, broadcast length would have tightened up and sharpened all of these episodes immensely, um, I think, as opposed to some of the other stuff that they want to do across these eight episodes. It's a very deliberate choice that they make. It's the wrong choice. 
Um, but that's one of my larger quibbles. I do want to hear more from you nitty gritty wise in terms of what you thought about your, your sort of, your, your quibbles that you had. Yeah. Cause for me, actually the runtime wasn't the issue for me or like the pacing okay. wasn't the issue mm-hmm. for me as much. So I can hear, absolutely hear what you're saying. And I can see how a taking a different approach to the pacing would dramatically change the show. Um, yes. and I, it would make it for a very different experience. So, yeah. But for me, it was it was not that. It was the unrelenting bleakness of its perspective. Um, but, um, for example, like, you just want, you just wanted one of the stories to end well. Just like, I'm like, just on a mathematical level, right? But even the stories that seem like they have a positive... Like, people take something away from it, and they grow and learn from it. Like, in our first episode, the Rebecca Hall character certainly, like, has a very important conversation with someone, and it dramatically shifts how she approaches uh, her parenting. Um, And it's, it's it's not something that gets drawn attention to, but it, like, that's a, that's a real positive takeaway. But what I spent the rest of that time thinking about was... But what happened to that other character? How did they get home? What, like, there was no, so I, I, there were so many little, like, and the show just doesn't care about that part. That's not what yes. matters. And, yeah. and for me, it, like, there's a free, let's freeze time episode. And what I'm sitting there thinking about is, okay, well, do they need to eat? Cause they're still, like, some of the people aren't frozen. And if they need to eat, what happens when it runs the places run out of food? The power's still on, huh? Well, at a certain point, no no new food is growing because time is frozen, but they still need to consume it. Also, what happens when time unfreezes and entire businesses have been ransacked because the teenagers don't care about stealing. And I'm just thinking about the poor, you know, mom and pop, like, clothing retailer that has, like, been picked clean. Like, (laughs) that's what I'm thinking about, and that is not what I'm supposed to be thinking about. But I also feel like it is, um, in some ways, it is a bit of a cop-out to be like, well, just don't worry about that. It's like, there are... These, their lives matter too. They're, you know, what they're experiencing. And, and there's never any fallout from any of that stuff. It never impacts any other part of the characters' lives. And that doesn't make any sense to me. And it so because of that, the whole experiment kind of falls in on itself because I need, I need to engage with the reality of, of these, like, fantastical things that are happening in this, like you said, this very mundane setting. But only in the immediate parts of it that the show is curious about and there will be no lingering effects in the next episode, aside from some broad thematic parallels. Um, what did, does any of that click for you? No, I, I think it clicks hardest in Stasis, which is the episode you're talking about where the teens freeze time. Um, because I had all of those issues that you just listed as well of like, wait, how long have they been frozen? How long have they frozen time? Because even they're not sure by a little bit by the end mm-hmm. of the episode. And it's like, wait, have you just destroyed the local grocery store because you're kind of in the middle of nowhere ohio that it's implied to be even though it's also apparently right next to a great lake mm-hmm. um that part's a little confusing geographically speaking um 
But you're also within a day's walk of a city. So there's a lot of weird stuff in terms of, wait, I, the the plot logistics can get into the way of what they want to do. And I think that's especially true, again, in Stasis, which is the third episode. Um, even though I do really like Stasis, I also mm-hmm. had those same sort of moments of being taken out of the narrative as a result of larger plot logistics. Um as for the other stuff, I think that a lot of what you're describing hits hardest in episodes where they don't deal directly with the um, with the core family, Rebecca Halls, and um, we should also note um, Paul Schneider. Mark Brandanowitz. <laughs> yes. Um, and um, Paul Schneider's um, family, uh, Loretta and George, um, that... There are, like you say, little ripple effects in terms of how Loretta decides to be a better parent or how um, George grapples with um, his whole deal. Um, That episode, which is Enemies, is one of the least interesting of the episodes. It's not as least interesting as episode five, which is Control, which features um, Dan um, Backendall. Yeah, Backendall, yeah. Uh, slightly different performance than on Veep. <laughs> yes, very different performance than on Veep. Um, but Control is also like the least interesting episode in the whole show. But th- the effects of Transpose, which is the second episode, continue to reverberate um, in episodes four or five and then seven and eight. Um, in, like you say, very quiet, almost too subtle ways sometimes that it you almost want the show to be more heavily serialized than it is um, in that regard. But I find the looseness of that to be a feature and not a bug. Um, But I absolutely see where you're coming from with it. And I don't disagree that it's a little bit of an issue, Um, especially with, um, especially with some of the stuff that happens in the finale within home. Um, as well as certain elements of episode five, which is control. Um, that control in particular feels poorly fleshed out given everything that's going on. Um, but this also falls into that prestige TV drama fault of no one talks to each other about their feelings. Yeah. And as a result, nothing gets resolved. Um, and I think it's really telling that the one sh- one episode that is very explicitly about feelings is uh, how do you grapple with feelings inside of yourself when those feelings get externalized in a in a way mm-hmm. <laughs> in a in a um, way spoilers in a way in yeah. a way spoilers. That's episode six, parallel, which is mm-hmm. probably my favorite episode of the show. But in no small part because of um, Otto Essendow, who played Alfredo on Elementary, who you and I both really liked on that. And he's fantastic in that episode. He appears very briefly in the premiere episode. And I went, you guys did not hire him to do this one little thing. (laughs) Okay, good. He got a whole episode. Excellent. I'm okay now. 
We should also mention Jane Alexander as Clara. Yes. Because she's fantastic as always. She's always yes. great. She, um, and Lauren so Weedman yeah. is, is as Kate, who is the uh, the wife of the Dan Bacadell character. And we mm-hmm. people will remember her recently from Briarpatch. She was terrific on Briarpatch. And she's just always oh. great. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But she, again, I like I did not watch the episode that features them more prominently, but in mm-hmm. the the few times ep- the episodes that I saw with them, I was I was just like I want them to get more. <laughs> but so this whole cast it, it's a very deep bench talented cast and the kids are good too. The kids are very very good. Um and that's sort of like one of the things that I like about the show is when it does focus on the kids, I think it's better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the stories, aside from um, Parallel, the stories that focus on the adults are less interesting. Um, and, and part of that is because kids not talking about their feelings in weird situations makes more sense than adults not talking about their feelings, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think, to the premise of the tabletop game, where you play as kids ages, like, I want to say 8 to 15, and if your character becomes 16, they're automatically removed from the party. Because cool things don't happen to teenagers. They happen to kids. Um, in that very 1980s sort of thing. Um, so I, I think that that really carries through a lot in, these, in this show as well. But then you get an episode like Control, which is very heavy on the adults. And you go, this is not interesting. This is really trite stuff that is not particularly compelling um and that becomes a larger issue there yeah it's there's i just i mean because i want to talk about it but i also don't because it's spoilery right so there's various things but it's like it just feels it feels like every episode is ends up on like that but don't worry it's okay just come to terms with the fact that everyone will always leave you whether they they choose to or they don't, but it's okay because they might they they loved you but they still left or they they had to leave they were taken from you, um, or they didn't really love you enough to stay. Uh, but it's okay. That doesn't mean that they didn't love you when they did. Like like, <laughs> it's just so it's so bleak, but also not trying to be crushing about it. It's not like it's it's like a no it's no just understand that's just like that's just the reality of our existence but they don't mean anything bad they everybody's just human we're just all just doing our best like this is just what it and it's just <laughs> I had a rough time though I just want to stop talking about it. I'm just no, repeating myself now <laughs> no, no no I think having a rough time like it's what the show wants which is not like the best thing yeah um but yeah um. The only other thing I kind of want to highlight is that, well, the show definitely has a very set aesthetic, um, and that carries out throughout the episode, throughout all eight episodes, is that the show also kind of goes out of its way to hire very specific directors for each of its episodes. And most of them are people who predominantly work in uh, motion pictures, uh, into like film, film. Um, so, uh, Mark Romanek, who directed, like, One Hour Photo and the adaptation of Never Let Me Go, handles the premiere, uh, loop and does a really good job. And it's very much in his wheelhouse. Um, Jodie Foster directs the finale, Home, and I think does a really, really nice job with it. Um, the episode that we haven't really alluded to, which is Echosphere, Mm -hmm. um, which deals with death. Yeah. Um, and... Fireflies that are green for some reason? I don't know why. 
yeah, no, I don't understand how that works either. Um, is directed by Andrew Stanton, who everyone should know from Pixar and from Finding Nemo and Finding Dory and Wally. <laughs> um, so he directed that. Um, and then um, Charlie McDowell, who directed The One I Love, which I think was generally really well received. It has Elizabeth Moss and uh, Mark Duplass. Um, he directed Parallel, the episode that I really liked. Um, and then Deborah Walsh handled... Um, Deborah Walsh, who's done a lot of work um, for um, British television. So she did like the Tudors and EastEnders and did some shameless work as well as uh, the adaptation of Little Dorrit um, handled, um, hang on, uh, Stasis, which is the time loop, uh, time freeze episode. And then T West, who did, uh, the innkeepers, which is a horror move. Ty West, thank you. Who did the innkeepers, uh, a, sh- a movie that I know a lot of people have really enjoyed that I have not seen because I'm a scary it's a horror cat. Film, yeah. Uh, yeah. because it's a horror film handled, um, enemies, which is a quasi horror episode for at least the first half um and so i think that there was a real heavy push to find directors whose interests and projects mirrored what they were doing with that episode which i think was made for really interesting through lines in terms of aesthetics but also gave some episodes a little more weight to them because like I get to the closing montage of Echosphere and then I see that it's directed by Andrew Stanton and I go, well, fucking of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course it was. Of course it was directed by a guy who did Pixar, uh, worked on Pixar. So I think that a lot of that does rely on you knowing who these people are. But if you do know who these people are, it does give those episodes as different sort of textual weight to them that I don't think that they would have otherwise. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I just wasn't able to focus on that part of it, but yeah, yeah no, no, it's definitely, again, it's, it's like, the, like that's the thing it is. It's, I think it's very well made. Yeah. But it's just, it's just aggressively not for me. Not right now. Yeah. So listeners, if you list, if you checked out uh, tales from the loop, if you were fond of it or you, on my wavelength about it or a different wavelength or you're just like no it's bad and here's why reach out and let us know what you think which is the um, wavelength look- one of my friends was on they did two episodes and went no and they <laughs> bailed yeah which is what i would have done normally because this should be right up my alley right this kind of thing this yeah. is a very kate kind of premise and everything but but no, um, but we want to hear from you. So reach out, uh, the televerse at gmail.com. Uh, a few show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post to this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. As I said just now, you can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find the podcast up in Apple podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And we are both on Twitter. I am at the televerse and Noel, you are. At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great discussion, Kate. Thanks, Noel. Thank you for helping me power through that. You're welcome. <laughs> Be very being such a lovely supportive podcast podcast partner. I'm very sorry that I chose that. You, no, <laughs> no, 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 no apologies. Are you kidding? The number of shows that you've watched that I wanted to talk about is ridiculous. No, it's all good. Um, thank you, Noel. Though, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>